from WAMU 88.5 at American University in Washington. Welcome to the Kocho Nam, the show connecting your neighborhood with the world. It's the computer guys and gals. The next time you Google something, notice the typeface on the multicolored logo. No more last century flourishes. The tech giant has adopted a sleek but supposedly friendly new look. And next time you have a search window open and it freezes and you get a message saying, Flash has crashed, take a deep breath and take some solace in the fact that Flash seems to be on the way out. But first, give us a call. How do you like Google's new logo? 800-433-8850. Did you even notice? You can send us a tweet at Kojo Show. You can go to our website, kojoshow.org, and see a quick trailer showing the design evolution of the blue, red, yellow, and green logo. And here to tell you about how that was all developed are the computer guys and gal. Bill Harlow is a hardware and software technician for Macs and PCs at Mid-Atlantic Consulting Incorporated. Bill, thank you so much for joining us. Happy to be here. John Gilroy is Director of Business Development for BLT Global Ventures, and it's my understanding and an effort to raise his profile. He's running for dog catcher in a small <laughs> town in Virginia. You were running for beach bum for the last three weeks, Kojo. The reason he never told you is because he is jealous of your many titles, and we have one one more to add today. One more to add today, because Alison Druin is not only a professor at the iSchool at the University of Maryland, she is also special advisor for national digital strategy for the National Park Service. Alison Druin, welcome. Thank you. How many business get like a five-page business card? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you can add dog catcher. Dog catcher, if I get elected. (laughs) Allison, tell us about this new gig with the National Park Service. Well, I basically I've taken a leave from um, the University of Maryland, and um, essentially it comes from the National Park Service is going to be turning a hundred soon. And not only are as old as John, um, not quite a couple more years. A couple more years, yeah. Um, But anyway, it's a good time to look back. But they're really looking forward, and I'm part of the looking forward in the digital area. Um, And you know, once a futurist, always a futurist. But I should point out that while I'm honored to work for the National Park Service, all of my views and opinions on this show are my own, for better or worse. And they don't represent the National Park Service or even the entire government of the United States. Not that what do you have think? A, not that we have a <laughs> question about <laughs> your opinions. Yes. We're your own. This is but, new. Yeah, we're, we're, we're going to have to say that now because she might yes. be mistaken for representing the views of the National Park Service. After every They're comment, she's going to have to repeat that. Alison Jones' views. And if you want to denounce her for those views, you can call us at 800 433 8850. We mentioned Google last changed the type font on its logo back in 1999. Does this updated logo signify anything about Google's relationship with its new parent alphabet? How important is this visual representation of an omnipresent tech giant like Google? Well, it's it, what's interesting about Google's logo change is that it's not just a logo. It's an entire system of logos uh, because logos aren't just for print anymore. And that's the problem. In fact, um, our screens are all different sizes. Um, it, our, our logos have to be um, on social media and in showing interactivity and so on. And in fact, actually, um, the logo system that they have there um, is a combination of, sure, it, it is the new typeface where it's gone from sans serif to serif. Okay, so none of these um, little 
indents and little flourishes on the font. Um, but they also made it so that um, it sometimes on smaller screens it can just be a G. Sometimes uh, it might be a microphone when they're when they're looking for voice input. Sometimes it's dots that are just flailing around um, because it's in a wait mode kind of thing. It's letting you know that. But it's all sort of connected with its colors and so on. Now there are some people that are just frantic. This is this is trauma. This is horrible. <laughs> oh my goodness, it's ruining the world. And other people are saying, oh. Hmm. Maybe this is the future of logos. I hope it's not the future of logos. It's a great user interface element with, with that new Sansara font. It is a pretty weak logo, in my opinion. But who cares? I mean, Google has survived, you know, a whole family of weak logos throughout their entire existence. It's not going to affect them. I think the the word that Allison was searching for was a, a brand, like a new brand identity. They're trying to to work this phrase, and a lot of new startups have these Sansara faces, and and uh, there's a lot of arguments about that. Now, if you look at the colors, I've read articles where it said, well, if you look at the colors, they're not too different from the Microsoft colors of all the things in the world. So, uh, you have to wonder where the originality is. How do you like Google's new logo? Give us a the call at 800-433-8850. Did you notice? I think Lucas in Alexandria, Virginia has noticed. Lucas, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Hi. Yeah. Um, I, I I very much did notice and am distressed. I'm one of the, uh, as was just mentioned, somebody who is who believes the world may be coming to an end. With- <laughs> <laughs> there was published in the New Yorker uh, specifically about this, and I thought it really captured the feelings of of people who really uh, love old, beautiful typeface with uh, serif, and how important that was that Google paid homage to that, um, and and how they drew us in in the first place when other search engines were bombarding us with um, just too much information and news and ads, and, and I think Google has really lost uh, the beauty of the logo by by turning it into uh, what looks very childish. Okay, thank you very much for your opinion. The most noticeable change might be the departure of the lowercase blue G icon replaced by a four-color capital G. Some people say the company could eventually use the new G by itself as its logo. I know it would work for me. Yeah, well, it, of course, it goes to the alphabet theme, mm-hmm. if you will. Maybe that's the um, each company is going to go by its first letter at some point. You know, the best phrase I've heard, I think, uh, this Washington Post guy, Achenbach, he, he had a little quote where he said, uh, uh, I shot the serif. <laughs> we was talking about the serif. That was pretty funny. Aww. But 98% fewer bytes than the older ones, so I think we're making a nod to handheld devices here, what it seems like. I mean, uh, and that's why. especially Handheld legibility, too. Yeah. I mean, on a small screen, it looks really, really easy to see. And we Future, I'll be referring to you as J, A, and B. <laughs> all we needed to spell. It spells jab. Thanks, Kay. <laughs> Allison, there's been more grumbling lately about Adobe's Flash Player. Now, Google says ads that use Flash will no longer play automatically in its Chrome browser. Explain what Flash does and why it's become both hated and apparently outdated. Well, Flash really was an engine a long time ago, mm-hmm. a long time ago mm-hmm. engine for animation, for video, um, for helping people actually bring to life some of the um, uh, some of the work they they've been doing. But since that time, um, many new 
many new technologies have actually taken its place and are actually much better. They're not memory hogs as much. They're not, um, in fact, actually, um, some folks are saying that this, this, this is just not a secure technology. Um, so, look, back in 2010, all right, five years ago, Steve Jobs uh, took this on as a religious crusade, okay, okay and said it was just a matter of time before Flash uh, should go down in flames, and he refused to put this on an iPad. And everybody flipped out when he said that, too. That's right, because it was the, at that, at that time, it was the engine. Um, now you've got, like, the Facebook security chief calling, you know, saying it's time for Adobe to, you know, announce the end-of-life date for Flash. I mean, how many how many technologies can people, like, shoot down like this one? It's, it's crazy. Well, I'll just say that in my browsers for the last several years now, I've done everything in my power not to run it unless absolutely necessary. So I'm on the let-it-die uh, side of the uh, equation here. Yeah. Yeah. Just the security implications alone. This is the real problem. That from from a corporate perspective, well, they're looking at Flash, just saying, "Oh my goodness, this is just too too many too many opportunities." Well, any add-on to a browser that can run code is a security risk. And yeah. you know, exactly. you look at you look at Flash, you look at Java, you look at all these other plugins that are in your browser, and there's a reason why um, you have to patch them all the time if you want a secure web experience. Yeah. Onto the phones again. Under our new system. Onto M in Arlington, Virginia. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, you're on the air. Go yeah. ahead, please. Hello, this is Mike. I was just calling about uh, the new Google logo, and I read a blog post about this. I don't quite understand all the you know, technical implications, but apparently it's just 352 bytes big, and they do this by you know, layering various layers on top of each other. But I just find it amazing that here's a company that takes engineering and sort of elevates it to the highest levels for things that most people might not even even notice or care about. And I just wanted the panel to kind of uh, discuss this and discuss how uh, Google just seems to take a fine-tooth comb to almost everything it does. Well, let me take you back about 30 years. John Gilroy, you'll remember this. When NBC changed its logo and it spent a gazillion dollars to have its logo changed only to discover that a small station in some place like Phoenix, Arizona had come up with the identical logo at a cost of maybe 10 or 15 dollars. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that proves the fact that someone once said there's nothing new under the sun. And if we look at some lo- I think Bill found a logo from a few years back that's very similar to this logo. Yeah, there's a tweet of a, of a Jimboree store sign and the G looks an awful lot like the current uh, Google G. Hmm. Well, I mean, here's the thing. Okay, that G is very, um, you know, of a family of different um, sans serif fonts, Futura, and um, and 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 so on. And it's okay. It's very similar. But yes, um, the 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 uh, Mike, you are absolutely right. Google is obsessed uh, pixel by pixel with what it puts on its its homepage, what it puts on in each of th- because they're a minimalist um, kind of brand, kind of design. And so this does go with it, but yeah, it looks a lot like Jimboree as well. <laughs> and Mike, thank you very much for your call. Apple's annual fall press conference tomorrow. Yep. The company is expected to unveil a new iPhone 6S and 6S Plus. Updated iPads, maybe new features for Apple TV. You can start calling now. What new iPhone or iPad features are you holding out for? 800-433-8850. Send us a tweet at Kojo Show. What are you hoping to see from Apple tomorrow? You can go to our website, kojoshow.org, or send email to kojo.wamu.org. Bill, let's start with the new iPhones. What's going to be different about them? 
Well, if, if uh, history is any indicator, they'll continue to be faster. Um, one thing that I noticed with the uh, iPad Air 2 when that came out is, uh, compared to the iPhone, it had more RAM. It also had a triple-core processor versus dual. So I wonder if that'll trickle down to the iPhone, because when it comes to RAM, I think it could use it. We run so many apps now, and you, know, you don't really care about the specs in your phone, but what you do care about is if you have a lot of things open, and you go and swap between, and maybe things crash now and then, or more and more often than they did in the past, and RAM may help with that. Um, imaging will probably improve the camera continue to do that since it, it is the most popular camera uh, in the world right now um, and then the other thing that uh, that people were saying is that apparently the aluminum uh, is a little bit of a different formulation so uh, after bend gate and everything there's talk that they may go with something a bit uh, a bit sturdier and maybe a tad bit thicker as well how about bigger are we expecting an ipad pro that's bigger we seem to be trending bigger these days yeah so i don't think they're going to kill the old ipads there'll still be a mini and an air um but there have been rumors for a while of a pro model and they keep um going towards a 12.9 inch screen measurement and what i'm wondering is is if it's just bigger i mean that doesn't interest me that much so i'm hoping it's maybe a different class of processor significantly faster perhaps something we haven't thought of yet in other ipads like a little more expandability like an sd card slot or even a, a USB-C connector. Who knows? Um, that's, that's the most interesting to me because I just have no idea. You can kind of predict where the, where the phone and the existing iPads are going to go, but the Pro is the fun one if that actually happens. Rumor Mill says Apple will also release new features for its Apple TV. How is Apple likely to use this upgrade to set itself up for an eventual video streaming service? Everybody knows that's where they're going. And to position itself, <laughs> and to position itself in the connected home universe. Well, the one thing they're going to do is uh, make some deals. And that, apparently they've been doing that. And the, the rumors are also saying that those aren't quite lined up yet. So if they do release an Apple TV uh, or announce it next week, um, it may kind of be, hey, this is, this is an awesome new piece of hardware and all the features are going to be coming soon once we um, get everything uh, lined up. But uh, expect that it'll also be a bit faster. And there's talk of it being more of a platform in general, you know, actually having an app store for it. I think it has to work on its search capabilities. I think when I think of um, uh, TV search shows... Search and unify all the search, right, too. and that's the whole thing is that... Uh, so, so I'm talking to Kojo, and he says, why don't you watch this show on Netflix? And then Bill will say, well, what about this show? And then Allison... And I think when people get home from work at night, they may, oh, Kojo told me to look for a ABC show, and, oh, it's okay. not on Apple. So they have, And Siri doesn't have all the answers, and but Apple really has to address this issue. Where Roku, to find it when? It's going to change. Roku has tried this. TiVo's trying to figure Failed this out. Google's hard. trying to figure this out. Um, all I know is that there's a website called canistream.it that I need to use <laughs> constantly to find out what's where because it's not always clear where you're going to find it. No, and, and Apple has to address that. Well, one more. Go ahead, please. Oh, you know, and, and one of the things, just you got to remember, how many updates has it been for Apple TV, okay? This is not a new product, right. okay? Um, the other thing, too, is that really what is the notion of TV today? And I think that's yeah. where we have to go with questioning um, what does it mean to veg on the couch with a TV, okay? Does it mean that your it, TV... It probably means loading up a Netflix series and watching it all in one weekend. <laughs> right, that's exactly right. It's, it's you know, it's binge watching. It's, it's What's also, your iPhone? Well, it's also maybe that the TV knows so much about you because of uh, it's able to track a number of things that you've been doing that it, it will immediately turn on, um, you know, the, the, the latest TV series that you've been binging on. as a, And so you just plop on the couch and there's something there. 
One more note on Apple. Apple's entered a partnership with Cisco, the force behind a lot of the world's computer networks. Why is that significant? Well, um, it's significant because a lot of people, I mean, this, to this day, people still, some people still talk about um, iOS devices as being more for consumption than work. So Apple has partnered with IBM. They're partnering with Cisco now, you know, make iOS devices, which are very popular in enterprise, but really make them first-class citizens, you know, make them priority devices on the network that just work well, uh, upgrade uh, or continue to improve the Cisco software that runs on iOS. OS devices to perform even better. Um, I think they're doing, even now, I think that's pretty good. Like, I, I prefer using WebEx on my iPad way more than on a computer. Before we go to break, a few more comments on Google. We got an email that says, hey, Google's got you four talking about them. Could that be part of their motive? <laughs> <laughs> good point. I doubt it. Yay. Of course, nobody can get ahead without, of course... Um, being with the computer guys and gal. <laughs> we got an email from Betsy, Betsy who says, there's a reason for surf, us old folks. Jeez, is that an L, a 1, or an I? Now I'll need to go and change the font to find out <laughs> so I can replicate an address correctly. And finally, a phone call from Jita on the logo. Jita, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Hi, Kojo and friends. Hi, wow. Jita and Potomac. Well, I wanted to share with everyone that I really appreciated the evolution of Google's brand through its new logo. Um, I've been a web designer for many years, and uh, I've been, you know, observing and watching, and I'm very appreciative of its fundamental style and simplicity, and um, I give it a thumbs up. Well, thank you very much, and... Google thanks you, too. <laughs> We've got to take a short break. When we come back, it's more with the computer guys and gal. We'll be talking about digital security and safety, so you can start calling now, 800-433-8850, especially if you got caught up in the Ashley Madison hack. 800-433-8850. You can send email to kojowamu.org. I'm Kojo Namdi. This month at WAMU, we're lifting our voices to shine a light on black changemakers throughout American history. Some you know and some you don't, but they all change the world. Hear the stories of these incredible scientists, activists, artists, and more throughout February on WAMU 88.5 and streaming at WAMU.org. Welcome back. We're back with the computer guys and gal. Allison Druin is a professor at the iSchool at the University of Maryland and special advisor for national digital strategy for the National Park Service. So when you hear her say this opinion is my own, know that she's not speaking for the Park Service. <laughs> Bill Hart, who is a hardware and software technician for Max and PCs at Mid-Atlantic Consulting Incorporated. And John Gilroy is director for business development for BLT Global Ventures. Let's talk about our expectations for privacy online topic in the news because of the hack at Ashley Madison, the website where married people can arrange to have an affair. Some people are mocking the would-be cheaters whose identities were exposed, but others say it's only a matter of time before every one of us 
is outed for something we thought was private on the Internet. Call us now. Do you approach every website and email with caution in case they're ever revealed publicly? 800-433-8850. With each new hack or security breach, there's a rush to judgment about whose fault it was. Is it reasonable? Is it rational to believe today that there's any true privacy online? I would be absolutely surprised if there were. But, I mean, let's face it. You have Ashley Madison, whose tagline is, life is short, have an affair. Hmm. Okay. And so you're going to put yourself out there. Um, as it turns out that um, uh, the, these, um, the, the company that owns Ashley Madison is actually, um, in some sense, being held hostage by a group that's basically saying, um, you know, if you don't pull down everything, we're going to expose you and, um, you know, and we're going to expose all of the, you know, the private information you have. We've been able to hack. We've been able to pull it in. And, you know, it's very scary. And, and it says it says whatever you do out there, you just have to remember it's public. Um, and but you have to let's take it to our workspaces. OK. And obviously, hopefully you have not been on Ashley Madison in your workspace. OK. But. Let's say you actually have to worry about social media in your in your workspace. Okay, well, is um, you know are the people that are tracking you and making sure that you're doing all the work you're doing are they smart enough to tell that you are actually doing the work you're doing because you're working on social media, or do they think you're kicking off because you're on social media? So how how easy is it to tell? what people are truly doing online, even with the metrics we have right now. And that, you know what, the jury's out. It's scary. I would say, yeah, the desire for privacy is, is very much a rational thing to want. But you go online and, and um, expect that you have your data somewhere that it, it will never get compromised. It's just not practical. I mean, there's so many hops between your data and you that uh, the, the, it's almost out, completely out of your control. You just have to kind of cross your fingers and, and pray. And the other thing, too, is, you know, we're human beings. We're social. We like to talk and, you know, communicate. And therefore, there's going to, always going to be something out there that you don't have control over. You know, I think Larry Olson said, well, see the guy said several years ago, he said, well, there's no privacy. Get over it. I mean, just you can't assume any privacy. I think what I see is elderly people like me kind of, you know, m- maybe think about that. But youngsters could care less. And, and they don't care. should schools be teaching our youngest digital natives the true perils of the Internet? Tell us what you think. You can send us a tweet at Kojo Show or email to Kojo at WAMU.org or call us at 800-433-8850. John, another example of privacy invasion online is in the arena of health. One researcher finding that 90% of health-related web pages relay our search to a third party, usually unbeknownst to the user. So if you're looking up information on cancer, for instance, it's possible your searches are being tracked and relayed to others. What's the danger well, I would, you know... If you go to CDC, because CDC has, you know, uh, you can like it on social media, there are ways that people can track what you search for. And I would love, the friend of the show, by the way, is Francis Collins. He runs all those centers. And I'd love to have him come in here and play his guitar or sing whatever he does and talk about this. I mean, this is what's going on. So let's say I apply for a job at Kojo Industries, and they find out that uh, I have high blood pressure. They may say, no, we're going to hire Alice instead of John. And uh, maybe that's got really nothing to do with the job. So I see some 
privacy situations here. They're very, very important. What if what if Bill comes down with cancer and, and he can live 40 more years, but he, Kojo won't hire him because he got a report from Experian saying, oh, Bill went over to the CDC and typed in brain cancer or something, and maybe he's typing in for his next-door neighbor. It's a, it's a bad world. It's one I, thing that this information might be sent to Google or Facebook or Twitty, Twitter so that they can potentially use your info and customize the ads. It's another thing if, as you pointed out, it goes to a data broker-like experience. Experian, that's the problem. And and mm. what are they going to do with it? There's no. Tra- I think you just have to assume there's no secrets. And and uh, and I'm not a big believer in in regulations and law. And I, I don't even want to admit saying this, but there's going to have to be some kind of structure. I'm, I don't want to say law, but structure, regulation. You're going to use some- every word but law. But, uh, there's <laughs> got to be something that constrains this. I mean, because it's not, it's going to be, they're going to know exactly every mile I drive, every time I pass by a cleaners, every time a Gold's Gym is going to say, did you work out today? It's, it's going to be a terrible life. But, but okay, this goes to something larger, though. Google and, and, and the search engines are not smart enough to know how to answer that query. They have to go to third parties to be able to answer your question or your query your search um, in the correct way. Mm -hmm. And so the more that companies work together on this, yes, the more connected your information, your search becomes. And so this is not just for medical. Think about all the other technical um, areas that their algorithms may not be smart enough and they're going to have to work with third parties. Well, increasingly, it's beginning to look like we're not smart enough. Just when, I, <laughs> just when you thought it was safe to read ads on the Internet, a new threat comes along, malvertising. What's that? And is there any way to avoid clicking on malicious ads? I kind of love that. There's a company did a study, and they, uh, what companies are doing, let's, let's pick on uh, Bill here. So Bill comes up with uh, an ad for a valid product, and he buys ads at a website. And uh, he is a respectable individual, and uh, they trust him, and that's the key word, they trust him, and people start to trust his ads. All of a sudden, he slips in malicious code in his ad, and it's called malvertising now. And, and you know, um, there is a lot of money wasted every year in malvertising. And if you, if you read the studies, the National uh, Association of Advertisers, they've talked about, you know, $6 billion so far in 2015. Now, I, it's kind of hard to believe. But I do know that increasingly all organizations, big, small, federal, uh, national public radio is going to have to do continuous monitoring of sites, scans, up-to-date patches, and you're going to have to teach consumers what to do and what not to because the consumers are being targeted at this. So it's a, it's, it's a, it's a terrible fight we're in. And, and who, who would have thunk it 10, 15 years ago that it's a dangerous place to be? Bill, there's another ad-related problem with some websites that are slow to load on a phone. They may be weighed down with ads that are hidden but bandwidth-intensive. What's yes. going on behind the scenes in this case, and what can we do about it? So this was great. So uh, Rob Leathern had a great uh, uh, post on Medium where he tracked this, and he used uh, New York Post website as an example. The front page, it's you know, it's a re- responsive design, so it looks like a nice, lean, mobile website. Aliens have landed. We know the front page. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and he starts poking around, wondering why is this, why is my why is my phone kind of slow? What, what's going on here? And, and sure enough. There are all these calls for these video ads and, you know, rich content, and it was just being obscured behind layers of, of seemingly innocuous text ads. So he's sitting there looking at this this static website, and there's, you know, you know 10, 20, 30 megabytes loading in the background. He repeated this a couple times. And just, you know, either there are two possibilities here. They're just you know, really lousy coding or potentially they're just, you know, s- selling uh, – um, 
um, ad space to multiple networks and just laying them on top of each other. I don't know if it's you know if it's deliber- deliberately fraudulent or just uh, you know a lousy site, but uh, pretty surprising and, and probably not all that atypical. There, there are a lot of times I'll open up a mobile site on my phone and I'll see the the spinning loading indicator and I'm like, it's done. What's going on here? Yeah. On to people who have concerns about privacy. We'll start with Chelsea in Frederick, Maryland. Chelsea, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Hi, Kojo. Thanks for having me. Long-time listener, first-time caller. Thank you. Um, (laughs) I just wanted to comment that, you know, I'm a millennial, and I do feel that, you know, my privacy is very important. My personal information is very important. However, I feel that the expectation to give my information digitally still exists. And even through, you know, institutions that are, you know, institutions that I would think are very secure, um, I've had my personal information, you know, accidentally hacked or, you know, somehow given away. And um, so I just wanted to comment that, you know, just speaking from from a millennial standpoint, we care. We just we're not sure because the expectation of giving our information digitally is there. Well, and I'll take my answer off there. Your lack, you. your lack of sureness uh, extends beyond your own generation, as a matter of fact. I don't know who's sure. What are you sure about, Allison? Well, I mean, and that's the the interesting thing is um, it, you, you are weighing what, um, you know, the privacy versus um, what you get for when you actually give give the information. And obviously, you look, if you didn't use Google, if you didn't use um if you didn't use the web, if you didn't, you know, uh, use your cell phone um, in certain ways, you'd be fine. Except you might live under a rock with I'm about Do- to say, John I, Gilroy. What existence you know? is that? I mean, I'm sure it sounds great on some level, but I'm trying to fathom it. And my brain just can't. Yeah, it's true. It's a caller true. who couldn't stay on the line wants to ask about the safety of cloud storage. How safe or private is data that we store in the cloud, John? Well, that is a uh, four-hour answer. I'll give you uh, a person to read. A guy named David Linthicum writes about this all the time. Uh, there's a company in town called Cypher Cloud that uh, is working on new ways to encrypt data. And uh, this is a very hot topic because many people encrypt data, data on site and forget to encrypt it when it leaves. Lots and lots of problems here. Uh, I would say that... Best practices are today that if your data is secure in the cloud, it is as secure as it's sitting down the hallway, assuming that you have a good system. So, so that's, that's why I look at it. And, I, and you look at hybrid clouds and new types of clouds and, and this and that. And, and I think what a lot of people don't understand is that uh, they are responsible for much more than just signing off on a cloud solution. They have to understand the security as well. Mm-hmm. So I think if, if you take a look at Cypher Cloud, look at encrypting on site, I think you can be safe as anything. And... Um, Bill, Jillian Humphreys would like to know, what do I want to see from Apple? Improvements to the Apple Music app. Make it more intuitive or go back to the old version. Oh, it, it, it's, it, it's a great product as far as like the functionality that's in there, but it is so baffling sometimes what to find where. Is this the iTunes store? Is this the Apple Music streaming service? Did I buy this? Did I, am I streaming it? <laughs> where are the radio stations? It's, they've tacked so much in there. They need to go back in there and do some house cleaning and make it more obvious too. I agree. Back to Adobe Flash with Brenda in Olney, Maryland. Brenda, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Hi, Kojo. Thanks for having me. Um, I I have a Mac OS X, and I've, I've upgraded my Adobe Flash player several times. I did not know it was a security risk. How do I get rid of the Adobe off of my computer? <laughs> oh, geez. Um, 
I, I'm trying to remember. I, I, I do it manually whenever I, I remove it. But the other thing you can do, too, is you can actually look for um, extensions. Um, there's Because um, Flash is still needed in some places. Um, there's one I like called Click to Plugin you can add to Safari. And basically the way it works is you activate that. And um, essentially it just doesn't let Flash load. And then if you want to run Flash somewhere, you, you click on the Flash element, and that will then invoke the plugin. So it just kind of keeps it dormant. But uh, I, think, I think Adobe also has an uninstaller you can download from them if you just want to wash your hands and be done with it. Okay, great. Thank you so hey, much. Brenda, thank you very much for your call. You too can call us at 800-433-8850 or send email to kojo at wamu.org. Allison, let's talk about a free speech issue that's arisen as the college football season starts. Some coaches are banning Twitter, telling players they cannot tweet during the season. Can they really do that? What about the First Amendment? Yeah, this is so interesting. Um, it turns out that uh, a number of coaches and uh, in uh, state universities, uh, both in basketball and, and football, have been um, uh, all but saying shut up and play or, you know, um, trying to limit the end quotes distractions um, and um, and trying to essentially saying to, to players, hey, just focus on. Um, they're saying that this is the equivalent to telling um, telling their players when they have to go to sleep, when they're when they're not allowed to go out um, and, and having curfews and things that, like that. Um, on the other hand, it turns out that state universities are uh, government organizations. Um, uh, and uh, in some sense, um, uh, some people have been questioning whether or not this is actually, uh, you know, banning free speech. Um, I mean, we have to look at this generation of kids and you have to say to yourself, does something really happen until um, or is it it doesn't really happen until it's posted? And so, you know, a lot of these a lot of these players are so used to saying, OK, I did that and now let me post it. And so it's actually something very difficult for this generation of kids. Um, the jury's out whether or not this is a good thing, a bad thing. But, you know, um, certainly championship teams ha have been doing this for a while. People just haven't been talking about it. Well, yeah, my wife went to Oklahoma University and knew some football players. Not your Rhodes Scholar types. <laughs> These aren't Rhodes Scholars as a general rule. I think if I were a coach, I would have a much more draconian rule than that. But I think that's the minimum. Just, hey, you're getting so a scholarship. You, how take, long take before this gets challenged in court? Oh, my goodness. Oh, there it is. That's Honestly, it's probably in. within days, okay? <laughs> you're absolutely right. We got an email from Charlie and Adams Morgan who writes, My credit card recently got hacked, so MasterCard canceled the card, sent me a new one with a new number. I waited to hear from the vendors with whom I've set up automatic monthly payments so I could give them my new card number. Much to my surprise, two of these vendors somehow got my new card information and began charging the monthly fees to the new card. Are these vendors supposed to have access to my new card information? How could they have found out the new number? It's an enigma inside of a mystery, John. No, I, I'm a big believer in, uh, you know, if you get any email from any credit card company, I delete it. I don't want any, no, I'll contact them. I think that's the approach. I think the listener should contact them. Maybe even use an old-fashioned of these things called telephone and contact them. Right, right. Uh, they shouldn't have that information. My only guess is unless somehow you set up, maybe there's automatic bill pay through his bank, the, yep. the issuing bank. That's what and I was thinking. And maybe they then automatically update people so that they don't miss payments. Yeah, this sounds like scam of I the mean, month club. Having yeah. been through this on the opposite end, we have to do it all manually. It's 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 a slog. So it's the convenience is sort of nice, but I'd kind of like to do the legwork myself. Yes, yes. Uh, hey, just 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 keeping keep checking your balance. That's what I say to you. We got to take a short break. When we come back, we'll 
have more of this conversation with the computer guys and gal. If you have questions or comments, give us a call at 800-433-8850. You can send us a tweet at Kojo Show using the hashtag TechTuesday or email to kojowamu.org. I'm Kojo Nandi. First Tuesday of the month, and the computer guys and gal are here. John Gilroy is Director for Business Development for BLT Global Ventures. Alison Druin is a professor at the iSchool at the University of Maryland and Special Advisor for National Digital Strategy for the National Park Service. And Bill Harlow is a hardware and software technician for Macs and PCs at Mid-Atlantic Consulting Incorporated. As always, there's a lot of innovation going on in the tech world. We've picked out a few examples to take a closer look at before we share ours. What is your favorite new tech gizmo or gadget? Call us, 800-433-8850, or send us a tweet at Kojo Shore, email to kojowamu.org. John Gilroy, researchers in Germany are trying to teach robots to read and follow simple directions to perform certain tasks. The ultimate goal is for a human to be able to speak to a robot and tell it what to do rather than having to program it. Why is that such a challenge? <laughs> well, first of all, I've got your Christmas present here, Kojo. It's going to be a robot in your kitchen. You're going to roll downstairs and go, ah, but some buckwheat pancakes and some blueberries in there, and they'll whip them right up. I mean, what a great gift to have. Well, what teaches the robot to flip the pancakes? Yeah, there's all kinds of different techniques, and some people are wearing special gloves, and they're trying to find exactly what movements are made in the gloves and, and try to understand it. I think it's a, it's a long-term challenge that... Uh, it may or may not be solved, but I think it's just interesting to see how people are thinking about robots and, and how they can be used and not used. And, and I was telling people before the show as I was at a, a, a wedding up in Boston with a bunch of young people, they were talking about why they selected their career so a robot wouldn't be able to take over what they were doing previously. So that's how people are choosing their careers now. So I guess the pancake makers out there better be wary if Kojo's robot's going to make them pancakes here in the future. But those robots are actually, right now as I understand it, um, this, this robot how thing is actually reading WikiHow. It's, what it's doing is it's taking the directions. And reading them. Okay. Yeah. Um, and it's fine. You can read directions on how to make pancakes or how to you know, sweep up and so on. Um, but you have to say to yourself, are there any um, you know, wiki how directions on how to be creative or how to actually be funny? It happens if the first flip doesn't work. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And when you run into problems. So it's you know, people for many, many years have been really looking at how can robots do basic um, minimal tasks but we haven't gotten further than maybe, you know, a, uh, maybe a two-year-old. I'm not even sure of that. Bill, for the Star Wars fans among us, it sounds like R2-D2 is going to have competition in the hearts of moviegoers pretty soon. The new Star Wars movie, The Force Awakens, opens in December and features a lovable droid called BB-8, now available at a toy store near you. 
Will BB-8 be a must-have item this holiday season? Yeah, if you've got some rich parents, this $150 robot could be, could be uh, really cool. I mean, the thing I love about it is in the trailers, you saw this robot that's basically a large sphere, and the, and, and the sphere is what rolls and propels the robot, but the head, which is on the sphere, stays uh, stationary. And, you know, people assume, oh, that's just a special effect, but, you know, it's actually uh, something you can buy as a practical toy, where um, the company Sphero, they make these remote control, um, it's, just, it's a ball, and you control it with your, with your a phone or tablet and this is painted like the BB-8 and it's got a little magnetic head that sits on it and there's a little magnet inside the ball so that as it rolls and propels itself the head kind of tilts forward and angles and it's just watch the video because it, it's really charming and it's a pretty uh, neat uh, uh, little marvel look on his ex- the, the expression on his face alone tells me <laughs> <laughs> he is saving even as we speak to get his own these are the droids you're looking for <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly these are the droids and you can see the video on our website of how this looks Allison, you came across a great gadget for bike riders so that you can track mileage and speed without having to keep pulling out your phone Yeah, there's um, a French company, um, a French startup that is actually uh, doing a Kickstarter campaign. They've got a great demo right now, um, something they call Haiku, um, which actually is is almost like a smartwatch for your bike. So what happens is, you know, you're getting lost. Everybody uses their GPS. Well, what do they try and do on their on their bike? They pull out their phone and almost kill themselves. So um, this is a very very simple way of essentially um, uploading uh, your 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 directions um, onto uh, a really, um, it's just a, it's a very, uh, it's a dumb window here. It, we're, we're not talking about it. It's touchable or anything like that. Um, and it just has the directions with simple, you know, arrows going left, right. Um, and you can later on download this to, you know, Apple Fit or Google Fit. So hopefully in the next, I would say about six months, this will be out. And honestly, it's such a good idea and it's so simple that I would be in shock if, if three other folks don't pick this up immediately. And our final innovation for today, the reason why John Gilroy <laughs> will soon be moving to Seattle, Washington. Yes. One-hour beer delivery from Amazon, but only in Seattle. <laughs> I know people who are jumping up and down in joy for something like this. You know, I mean, Seattle is an unusual town, okay? And so, you know, the fact that Amazon's there and F5 Networks and, you know, all the folks we know, Tableau Software. You know, I just think this is kind of a silly uh, innovation of all the things to worry about as far as technology goes. I mean, beer delivery. I mean, it just seems silly. So I just bring combine it up because... that with a smart cooler that knows when you're running smart low at the party. Cooler. Drone flies in, just <laughs> lid opens up, drops a beer <laughs> in there. Right it's in. perfect. No, I think it's just it's just too too funny. But it, what it does suggest is that delivery is insanely quick now. I mean, mm-hmm. it's same day. You can get same day delivery from a number of uh, of places where you. I mean, who would have thought something like that, you know? It now makes the couch potato presumably one of the most productive people on the planet. (laughs) It does make sense, yeah. (laughs) On to Mary in Frederick, Maryland, who may know why your credit card information is available even when you get a new card. Mary, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Hi, Kojo. Hi, Mary. I used to work for a payment payment processor, and... This is actually one of the ways that the credit card companies have figured out they can make a little more money. They sell an update list every month to anyone who wants to subscribe to it, Um, anyone who takes payments. They won't just sell it to anybody. Um, But it will actually, if there's a credit card issued by Bank of America, for instance, it will actually match the old credit card number and the new credit card number for that payer so that they know who to bill for um, ongoing monthly services. 
actually a way the credit card companies make money. You don't have any option here. Mm. Why do you no longer work for a payment processor, Mary? <laughs> <laughs> they were in Rockville, Maryland, and they decided that Ash- Austin, Texas was a better place to live, and I didn't think so. Well, Smart move. There you go. If they were relocating in Seattle, Washington, John Gilroy <laughs> would still be working for them. Here is Jose in Gaithersburg, Maryland. Jose, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Yes, hello. Um, I have two questions for the for the panel uh, regarding privacy. I know you guys are talking about it. Hopefully you didn't discuss this already. But one is um, if these are – I'm assuming these are legally binding privacy agreements that we accept on the website, so I didn't know how enforceable they were in court by end users or consumers if the information got leaked or hacked or shared. And then the other one was um, if there could be just one that follows you instead of signing up multiple ones every time you visit a website and then you can't keep track of how many you've accepted. Uh, those are my two questions. Well, why would these companies make it simple for you, though? They're, they absolutely would not. I mean, they're going to make it as, as arcane and confusing as possible and do everything in their power to uh, absolve themselves of as much liability as possible. Um, they, they, they vary quite a bit. Some have seen will even, um, by agreeing, that you, you say that I, I waive my right to sue you. So it's, uh, it's, it's one of the reasons why there, there are sites out there. What was it? Uh, oh, I can't remember the name of it. Is it tldr.info? Um, or TOSDR.info, they, uh, they try to aggregate um, summaries of, of how good these various privacy and other policies are. And much of this information, it's, it's very fuzzy. It's, it's, it's not very accurate. There, there's some hints and intimations of what they know and they don't know, and, and certain people know, and, and maybe someone behind the scenes may know. And, and Google, uh, you know, as wonderful as their new logo is, they're very, very secretive of what's going on. They make 200 changes a year and don't tell anyone. They make a change in the search algorithm, and you have to find out afterwards. So, and they're intentionally vague, and I think it's a lot of uh, talk of legal ruling. I think a lot of lawyers get paid money to have intentionally vague writing, and I'm sure that a lot of this, inf- it's, it's probably this, and it's maybe that, and then we can include in three, three different points, and we can include something. So it's, this, is, this is like punching smoke. You probably don't want one um uh, one agreement either, um, because that's probably that leaves you open. So if you by mistake um, sign that thing like three years ago, um, you you don't really have choices about then which which you're going to go with and which you aren't. So I would I would think that actually in some ways it's better to have to sign these things um, depending on the apps or whatever you're using. Jose, thank you very much for your call. We got an email from Matt who says I've just left a meeting with several people who have the very sexy Apple Air book. Very small, very sleek, very portable. For those of us who are committed to the Microsoft world, can you recommend any such hardware for us? The uh, is it the, the Dell, the XPS 13, is a really slick little device. It's got this 12-inch uh, screen. I think it's all, it, 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 yeah, the, the, uh, that's not quite as thin. That's a really cool device. That's the Surface Pro. Um, but, yeah, the Dell XPS is a traditional laptop, very sleek, very slim, great screen, and uh, it's almost edge-to-edge, uh, the screen. It looks really, really nice. You like Michael the Pro? I like the Surface Pro fine. Uh, my experience has been that the keyboard is not as durable as you might think. It's a very, very thin keyboard. Yeah. I mean, it's almost, it's not paper thin, but it's close to paper thin, and it's just not as durable as it can be. However, the image in the screen is great, and uh, uh, so, so I, I really like it a whole lot, in spite of the keyboard I've had to replace after four months. Maybe every four months it has to be replaced, and it's got Ooh. nothing to do with the product itself. But it's just Another funny. thing that you seem to like, John Gilroy, is an app called Sunrise. It is your choice for app of the month. What does it do? 
Well, you know, I deal with a lot of people in the business world, and I always, I'll meet with Bill or something at a networking event, and I'll say, okay, let's get together, have a telephone call next week, and he'll get his calendar, my, my calendar, which I figure is good and bad, and can't do this, because going here, going there, and, and this is a nice little app that seems to work well. I've, I've tried it with three or four different people, and all of a sudden, we can come up with a time, okay, Allison, when can I call you next week? What, Thursday at 2 o'clock? Perfect. When's we have lunch? Well, in two weeks at 4 o'clock or two, noon, whatever it happens to be. So it's a nice little app, and it, it's, it's simple and easy, and a lot of people like it. So hey. It syncs appointments. Yeah, um, it's nice. Allison, you've got several back-to-school apps to share with us. Yeah, well, it's time. It's time to think about school. Um, there's one called Notability. It's actually a pricey app for an app. It's $6. It's wow, for, $6. So expensive. I oh. know. It's insane, isn't it? For iOS users, um, it actually lets kids take notes um, in, in a very visual way, in a nonlinear way. It even lets you annotate with sound. Um, there's also My Homework Student Planner. This is free for iOS and Android uh, users. Um, so, and essentially, uh, for those kids that know about block schedules, so it's an A day, it's an F day, it's a G day, it, it's really difficult to, to plan, and so uh, an online student planner is great. Um, there's also something called Wonderbox, free for iOS users, and um, and that was uh, created in collaboration with uh, elementary and middle school teachers. And it's essentially it's a creative app that lets families learn together. So when you're not getting what you want from school, how about designing a treehouse? How about writing with hieroglyphics and more? And uh, so it's a really it's a really nice way of sort of getting more uh, learning in context uh, without the traditional um, uh, sitting in rows kind of thing. Bill, you like two websites, the Sweet Home and the Wire Cutter for choosing school-related tech and an app called Chains that helps you develop good habits. Yeah, so uh, the Sweet Home and the Wire Cutter are part of the same network. They're just sites that review all kinds of tech and, and home stuff and do it really well and just say, look, for most people, this is what you want to get. And they did that with uh, college school supplies. So if you have, uh, if you are going off to school or know someone who is, uh, send them there because they've got a, an exhaustive list of everything from computers to headphones and speakers to uh, stuff for the dorm room. And Chains is, is an iPhone app, and it's to help you develop good habits. So you put in what your daily goals are, and it visualizes this chain. Each link is a, is a, is a successful uh, uh, completion of the task. So you can see over time that you've been keeping up with this and developing into a habit, then soon become second nature, hopefully. Except that's a value judgment. What's a good habit? I know. Is waking up early well, in the morning it, necessarily a good habit? Well, it Not doesn't for judge. Me, no. <laughs> you judge and put it in. It doesn't judge. It doesn't care. <laughs> and finally, we got an email from Diane, who also had a credit card hacked. She called Citibank, which told her some vendors have an arrangement with MasterCard to have the new info sent automatically. Mm. WAMU was not one of them. She had to call and change that manually. So, <laughs> so all the time we have, Alison Druin is a special advisor for National Digital Strategy for the National Park Service, but the opinions you have heard here are her own. <laughs> She's totally. also a professor at the high school at the University of Maryland. Good luck in your new gig. Thank you. John Gilroy. Is director for business development for BLT Global Ventures. Good luck in your campaign for dog catcher. <laughs> <laughs> and Bill Harlow is a hardware and software technician for Max and PCs at Mid Atlantic Consulting Incorporated. Bill, always a pleasure. Indeed. And thank you all for listening. I'm Kojo Nandi. 
WAMU 88.5 is your listener-supported NPR news station in the greater Washington, D.C. region. You can support the Kojo Namdi Show and all the regional coverage you value by becoming a member today. Click the Donate button at WAMU.org and thanks.